This episode of the Get Fast podcast is brought to you by Trivelo Coaching, where we help triathletes and cyclists like you train smarter to race faster. You are joined as always by your host, former Australian Ironman champion, Jared Donnelly, and I am Jordan Donnelly. Making mistakes is key to learning. You cannot expect to grow without making a few mistakes. And as dad, as you always say, you learn more from your failures than your successes. So today, we are talking about some beginner mistakes uh, that you don't need to make. Uh, because obviously, like you said, make mis- making mistakes, you learn the most from them, but there are some that you don't need to learn. We've already learned them ourselves and we can t- teach you them, hopefully, so that you don't have to make those mistakes yourself. You can just learn the lesson. And today we're going to be talking about some of the biggest mistakes you've made over your career and that you've passed on to me. And these aren't just beginner mistakes. Uh, you might find you're an experienced athlete, but you're still making these errors, which is impacting your performance. So before we get into that, uh, we are going to go into our normal starting segment, uh, which is our gratitude. So, Dad, welcome to the podcast. What are you grateful for? Thanks, Jordan. Um, it's very straightforward. Uh, it's a little bit of a personal, private um, great gratitude this week. Um, uh, my, our, your niece and my granddaughter um, has had a major uh, operation and we're very grateful for um the expertise of the medical staff at the Brisbane Royal Children's Hospital. Um, Eden's been born deaf and she's going to have uh, cochlear implants and we're really grateful for for the opportunity that she's going to have to try to live a normal life with some form of hearing. Um, We're not sure what level that will be but um, she's eight months old now and pretty traumatic experience she's gone through uh, just yesterday. And um, so very grateful for, for the opportunity that she might have been given if she had been born, you know, 20 or 30 years ago, that might not have been the case. So yeah, we're very, very grateful for that. I share that gratitude because it is uh, amazing technology that what they can do now and it's forever improving. And uh, as soon as she was diagnosed, the amount of help given straight away was uh, incredible. So that's a great one. My gratitude this week is a bit of a, uh, I'm going to cheat a little bit of my gratitude because we used to have a rule um, when we did these gratitudes at our, our boot camp, which is how we started on this podcast, where you can only say one because uh, everyone got so enthusiastic, they wanted to say more. And sometimes people would just say more because they really wanted to. And I'm, I'm cheating a little bit today because I've got a bit of a three in one wrapped up and my gratitude is for podcasts. So I'll start by saying I'm grat- grateful for podcasts as a whole. I am an avid listener of a lot of podcasts. I get a lot of information and learn a lot from them. Uh, and to um, toot my own horn, I was probably an early adopter to the podcast. I have been listening to them uh, well before they were popular. I remember listening to podcasts back in 2012, 2013 when they became available on the iPhone and they've actually helped me so much in life uh, since then. You know, you learn so many lessons that um, I guess with this day and age you get to learn whereas you might not have learned before because you didn't have access to this kind of information or technology. So I'm just grateful for podcasts as a whole but uh, I'm also grateful for uh, a lot of the feedback we've been getting on our podcast um, lately and I'm grateful for our podcast because one, I was thinking on the way here, all week I'd been thinking about gratitude for the podcast and I'm doing uh, what I said was the original intention of talking about gratitude. So when I told that story of, of how we started uh, gratitude at the boot camp, we found that all of our clients were going about their life looking for things to be grateful for. And now I'm here doing the same thing. I'm kind of pointing things out in my life. Well, should I talk about that on the podcast? Or should I talk about that? And it's just making me hyper aware of all the things I'm, I'm really grateful for. So <laughs> that's a gratitude in itself. Uh, but 
as I said before, um, our listener base for this podcast is growing at a really, really good rate uh, exponentially. And we've been getting some amazing feedback over the last few months uh, just from random listeners about how we've helped them, how it's contributed to their uh, better performances in training or racing. And uh, that's really fulfilling and nice for us to hear. And you said it um, to me last week when we read yet another email from uh, a happy listener that um, it feels really good to be contributing to people. And that's why we're doing the podcast. And we would be having these conversations anyway, but we're glad that people actually enjoy listening to them and listening to us talk about racing and cycling races and triathlon races and training tips. Uh, so I am grateful for the listeners of this podcast. And we, we definitely want our listeners to gain an insight into things that can make them better. That's that's our purpose, is to try and spread some free, uh, helpful coaching tips um, so that they can implement them into their into their program if they can't afford a coach and and not everybody can afford a coach. And I just get so much gratitude when I go to these events and people come up to me that I don't know and they know me because they've heard my voice and and see my face, unfortunately. (laughs) Um, But they're really happy to say thank you. And, and, you know, when you said it's, it's turned the corner of you thinking about gratitude, which is the purpose of this whole segment, and I... I totally agree because I said to you, well, last night when I was in bed, I was thinking about what am I grateful for? And that's that, that's the, the way we want to be in every day. We want to actually end the day or start the day with, well, what am I grateful for? What happened today? Um, and it really gets you in the right mindset of, um, of, you know, being happy with your life and um, being in control of what, what you like and what you didn't like and doing something about it. It's great to have gratitude. Um, and if you're not having any gratitude, we'll do something about it so that, you know, you do have things in your life that you're actually thankful for. Absolutely. So to summarize, I am grateful to you, the listener, for listening to this podcast. And I would ask you, you know, when we when we do this on the podcast, we do this segment, uh, ask yourself, what are you grateful for? If you're sitting in the car, if you're on the bike listening, if you're on a run, just ask yourself now, what are you grateful for? And yeah, I agree with that. And you should actually try and answer that question out loud. Yeah. Moving on to our next segment. Uh, what has caught your attention? Dad, what's caught your attention this week? Well, it's ironic that um, I don't know how many weeks ago when the Strata Bianca was on and we had an in-depth discussion about race tactics in the female uh, race and uh, two riders have broken away and uh, – Borghini, the Italian road champion, um, was with one of the Van... Van Vluten, I think. Van Vluten. And she decided to sit on the front and ride all the way to the finish and then get done in the sprint. And we were discussing that tactic and why she was doing that. Anyway, go forward six weeks, eight weeks, however long ago it was. Here we have Borghini and... Um, the next writer's name, which the pronunciation was, is yes, Neodoma or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and she had broken away in Borghini. I don't mean to be rude and say or something. It's it's yes, Neodoma. Yeah, we're just not really sure on the pronunciation. Yep. and apologise for that. But yep. um, but yeah, found herself in a similar situation, two women away with a break on the on the chasing small pack, and I was thinking, wow, she's got another chance here to rectify the mistakes that I thought she made last time. And watching it unfold, I must say I was nearly yelling at the telly saying, what is she doing? Why is she doing this? And what she actually did was she got away from the the bunch and joined the, the solo breakaway. So there was two and they had probably three or four K to go. And the chasing bunch 
were not within reach unless the two riders at the front uh, mucked around too much. And so when she when uh, New Doma Doma got caught by Borghini, um, she turned around and sort of said, "Oh, let's work together." And Borghini wouldn't come around, which is the opposite to what she did at um, Strada Bianca. Mm. And so she sat behind her and and then with the K to go, the bunch were getting closer and closer and then within 500 metres, the bunch had caught them and both of those riders came nowhere. They came eighth or ninth in, in the finish, in mm-hmm. the final and, Van, uh, and uh, Voss um, won the event, which I was really wrapped with because – she has gradually ticked off every uh, event in her career and this was one of the ones she hadn't won, so she won that. So the mistakes the two leaders made, which is the point I'm making, uh, enabled Voss to win another race that she hadn't won before, so before she retires. And she's one of the most outstanding riders has ever been in the history of cycling mm-hmm. um, for the female uh, category. So, um, so I was just astounded that she's gone to the other extreme of actually not going to the front like last time. She stayed on the front for the whole ride and got – sprinted over the top of and here she is now in the same situation and instead of just rolling turns for the last section and securing her first or second spot she ended up with nothing which she's overcorrected absolutely gone completely the other way um so you've got to secure the the win your opportunity to win Mm. you've got to secure that first and then it's time to to be tactical so so that's what caught my attention and, and I just wanted to pass that on to everybody as a, as a race tactic in cycling. Um, you know, you could still get it wrong at that level. Yeah. And she's won many good races. She's, yeah. a, she's a winner. Yeah. But she's kind of mucked up the last two opportunities that she's had and, and I wonder what she's thinking now. Um, and then when she got interviewed, she actually still didn't uh, kind of understand that she'd made a mistake, I mm. didn't think. Um, you know, and the question is, well, you know, first or or what what does it matter? But you know, first and second has to be secured first before you um, risk getting nothing. She said at the end, uh, "I don't I don't know what happened. I felt really good. I thought we could stay away, um, but we got caught. And if you felt really good, then you've really mucked up the opportunity." Had she said, "I had no legs, I couldn't come round," it would be a different story. Yeah, but that's true. Yeah. She really mucked it up that she had good legs and yeah. And if you have good legs. Roll a few turns so that you secure the fact that you're going to stay away from the bunch. Mm. Just if, you, if you're that confident in mm. winning, it's okay to roll a turn. So yep. that's confusing that yeah, answer. Yeah. Thinking about you know, today's topic is making mistakes and the, the goal of mistakes is to learn from them. And uh, the frustration from you was that she, yes. she, didn't, she learned but in the wrong way. Yeah, she. I don't think she did learn from Strata Bianca. She obviously didn't listen to our podcast. That's right? clearly clearly <laughs> obvious, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but you, you, one of the points you say is that um, you harshly call second first loser. You know, which um, is a winning mindset. So what's the point of being first loser or eighth? There's no difference if you're not going to win. So she's she has that mindset. She says, "Well, I'm going to save my legs. I don't want to come second. But yeah. You're saying you want to be in contention for first or second. Um, yeah, and risk that rather than risk. Nothing. Not doing work and then coming yeah. to nothing. And especially with her comments at the end saying she had good legs. So mm. back yourself in then if mm. you've got good legs mm. and and be be confident that you can win the sprint. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that 
all of that's a little bit confusing, those tactics to me. And Yeah. There's, and, there's two risks you can take. You took the wrong one. You can take the risk of not doing any work and getting caught and then you risk coming eighth or yep. you can take the risk of doing some work yep. and risking your legs for the sprint and you get first or second and you're, you're saying it's much better to take that second risk. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yep. Awesome. What caught my attention this week uh, was uh, I went for a ride on Saturday, a hilly ride, and it's just the value of keeping pressure on the pedals. And this is just something that you've hammered into me and you hammer into our tribal athletes is that it's so undervalued just keeping pressure on the pedals. And again, we've spoken about it before, but you, we notice that whenever we ride with people who are new to Trivelo, uh, whenever you're riding in the hills, it becomes really a, an exaggerated uh, phenomenon that um, you will just pull away from everyone over the top of the hill and down the hill and you'll gap everyone by 10, 15, 20, 25 metres and everyone has to put an F to get back onto you and then everyone will feel like you're slowing a lot up the hill but you're just riding the same tempo and you're just tapping away and that's, there's a real art to that. And so I try and practice that myself and I was doing a quite a hilly ride on Saturday and there was um, hundreds of cyclists out, which was awesome to see on this route. But I just could not believe the amount of people flying past me up the hill uh, at the start of the hill and I would just keep tapping away and then um, I'd overtake them either towards the top of the hill or over the top and then I'd gap them by hundreds of metres over the top and then down the next part and then they'd try and come flying past again at the bottom of the next hill and um, unless you're doing a specific ride where you're trying to smash the hills and recover, which to me, you can tell when people are doing that or you can tell when they get to the top of the hill and they just stop pedalling and... Uh, you lose so much value in a session when you stop pedaling over the top, uh, when you take a break. Um, and it's just a natural reaction to you've worked quite hard up a hill uh, to keep the pressure on. It takes that little bit more effort, but it, it's not detrimental to the whole ride. And you, it's not as exhausting as it sounds. And so there's huge value in just keep tapping away and you get so much more out of the session because of it. Yeah. And the pressure on the pedals can't be under understated. And look, we... We really experienced that in COVID last year when we were on the indoor trainer. Mm-hmm. And if you stop pedaling on the the uh, the computer screen or the TV or whatever you're watching yourself on, you just stop moving mm. and you don't progress. Whereas outdoors, if you stop pedaling, the momentum of the bike keeps you going. Yeah. So you get a false sense of security outdoors where that's one of the beauties of riding indoor is that it just has to be pressure on the pedals the whole time. Otherwise, yeah. nothing happens. Yeah. Your avatar on the screen doesn't move, which is, yeah. which yeah. is you know, one of the good things about, um, about indoor training. But, but definitely uh, for specific sessions where you are trying to, trying to get a training effect, then pressure on the pedals – you know, on the flat, on the uphill, over the crest of the hill, on the downhill, continuing to keep, you know, um, resistance against your legs, that's the goal. And if you can master that for, you know, try doing that for 20 minutes and then 30, then 45, then an hour, Mm. that is incredibly hard to do. Mm. You just get this ache in your legs Mm. and you want to stop pedaling. You just, you're just thinking, oh, it's relentless. But, but that's, discipline. Yeah. that's the training effect you're trying to, you're trying to get. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if you're, obviously if you're doing hills where you're trying to do intervals where you're recovering, that's okay to, to recover and soft pedal mm. or freewheel. Mm. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about a session where it's an endurance ride where you're trying to maintain that zone two pressure on the pedals. And, and you've experienced it firsthand with uh, it feels like you're in cruise control and everybody else is – riding too hard or too soft yep. and then, and they're, they're getting a different ride. Yep. Um, and if that's your goal, that's okay. Yep. But but I don't think that's the goal for yeah. the majority of people. Yeah, exactly. And you can tell because 
you know, at the start of the hill, the um, speed is way higher from certain riders and then at the top it's way lower and it's not the way you want to measure your effort just on the hill itself anyway. Yeah, yeah they're guessing themselves obviously. Yep. But um, but yeah, it's a really valid point and uh, it, it does become obvious when you go out riding that when you're doing it correctly, how many people are doing it poorly. Absolutely. All right, moving on to today's topic, uh, five mistakes and how to avoid them. And I want to lead this conversation, and I know you feel the same way I do, uh, and we just want to really clarify and have a caveat that uh, we've made all these mistakes, and we're not sitting here saying we know better. Uh, We learned them the hard way. You had to teach me a lot of these uh, lessons, and so we want to pass them on to you, and that's that's the beauty of lessons is that you learn from them, but um, if you can bypass it and just, like we said at the start, take the lesson (laughs) and not have to make the mistake, then that is a better outcome. So almost every example we're going to talk about, I've made that mistake. Yeah. Um, so it's quite hilarious because every every everything we talked about before, um, I've done. Yeah, absolutely. So mistake number one: do not get overwhelmed with technology. Before we start, I want to tell a story. Yeah. About my very first uh, introduction to bike riding, and uh, Dad had found a bike for me from the tip, and. Um, and we used to ride our bikes to school, um, and it was a, quite a fair way. It was over five k, yeah. and there was a lot of hills around Warrigal, uh, where we lived in Gippsland. And um, the the bike that I had, uh, the style of crank that it had on, had an old uh, method which had a cotter pin at the top of the crank, which attached to the actual frame, which is completely different to how how it operates now. But um, on my right side, the cotter pin would continually fall out. So I would be pedaling and then all of a sudden my whole crank would leave the bike. And I mean, it was hilarious looking back, but it was so frustrating. If I didn't pedal smoothly, the cotter pin would fall out. And this happened for weeks, trying to ride to and from school with half the time my right crank falling out of the bike. And, um, you know, having crap equipment is the most frustrating thing and right from the early days I just did not enjoy the experience of riding with equipment that failed. Yeah well we'll start with uh, that can be point number one Uh, let's talk about the mistake of uh, taking shortcuts which end up costing more time and money. Yeah so so that was my lesson Um, was you know even though we really couldn't afford anything better than a tip bike um, but it was just became an unenjoyable experience and, you know, going forward 45, 50 years, um, the equipment, you know, you can still get um, very average equipment and you can get inexpensive, really good quality equipment. And one of the things we're actually trying to get across here is that you don't have to buy the most expensive equipment, Mm -hmm. but you need to get things that function well and are good value for money Mm -hmm. And, and you need to do a bit of research with that. And I've seen a lot of people uh, purchase a really uh, second-rate bike because they wanted to actually save up for a really good bike down the track and and they've invested in something that's substandard and it actually hasn't been un- enabling them to achieve um, what they wanted out of that bike and they've actually, in fact, wasted their money and purchasing, in, in the end, two bikes – uh, whereas if, if you actually do the research properly, get good advice from some people who understand, um, and we're talking just about bikes here, mm-hmm. but we could be talking about shoes, we could be talking about power meters, mm-hmm. um, get the right advice from the people who, are, who it's their expertise 
and and don't buy substandard stuff to begin with mm. and then work your way up to better quality stuff. Get the right stuff at the start. And as a, as a newbie to triathlon or cycling or whatever the sport you choose, um, you don't have to buy the most expensive, but you have to buy something that functions yeah. and enables you to get the outcomes that you're trying to achieve from each training session or race. Yeah. And, and that's the key thing. Yeah, that's definitely – we're not saying buy the most expensive equipment. That's, that's definitely not what we're saying. But you don't want to take shortcuts on things which end up costing you more money later down the track, costing you time – could cost you worse things like an injury, which is a really big point we wanted to make in that if you have poor equipment, whether it's on the bike, whether it's your running shoes, uh, you are you are potentially risking injury, which is going to cost you a lot more um, than you, than what you were trying to achieve by saving on um, functioning equipment. Well, let's just take a few examples. Like I've for years have had real issues with saddle sores and it's because I've, I've ridden the wrong saddle mm-hmm. and it's been a substandard saddle. And rather than spending money – upgrading to one that's not going to cause that, I keep persevering. Mm. That's a huge mistake. Mm. Get rid of the saddle straight mm. away. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't fit you properly and cause a saddle sores, um, old Lycra shorts, you know, rather than tossing them away, I'll just use that on the ergo and train with those. But they haven't got the right padding. They're old. Get rid of them. This is, again, you know, use the right the right nicks that are, are new mm-hmm. so they're not going to cause your saddle sores. Um, you know, cleats that are too worn so that if you sprinted and I have done this in a race I've pulled my foot out and crashed because in a sprint I pulled my foot out why the cleat was too worn so every time I pulled with power my, my foot would come out of the pedals that's a you know how much does a cleat cost yeah. and it's just a ridiculous thing to do yet I've done it mm. and I'll never do that again it was a really bad crash I landed on my basically land flipped over the bike Rather than spending you know, less than $100 on a new cleat, uh, it's cost you a whole new bike, it's cost you an injury, it's cost you time out from work. Yep, and it was just laziness rather than, the, <laughs> the, the you know, it was getting an, another set of cleats. Yeah. So I'll get that, I'll get that, you know, yeah. and I just never did. Yeah. Um, tuning the bike and my chains dropped off, which has also caused me to crash when I've sprinted um, and flipped over the bike again because the, the bike wasn't tuned, the chain was too old. Mm. Again, laziness, not keeping maintenance up on your bike. These are really costly mistakes that, that you know, you could miss work with a cro- broken collarbone. It could yep. cost you money. Yep. Um, um, not only, you know, you can't train and, and race uh, again for a while, but you actually, um, you know, your livelihood's affected. So, you know, you go from, you go from everything going smoothly in your life to – taking a completely different path. You might have four weeks away from work mm. and, you know, that changes everything in your life for that period. So yeah. so the things we're talking about, you know, they, they might, might sound obvious but, um, but, but you, if you don't take note of these things, these are the consequences that can happen if your, you know, maintenance is poor, if, if you're not looking after your equipment, if you're not buying equipment that's going to function properly. Um, you know, old shoes – same with, you know, with whether you're on the bike, uh, they could cause, you know, hot feet, um, they're too tight. Um, there's so many issues with shoes that, that can cause problems all the way through your body. Um, Same with running shoes. I mean, you should replace your running shoes, depending on how many Ks you're doing. You know, high K amounts should be every six months, uh, maximum a year. Well, it's more to do with how, how much time you spend in the shoes yeah. rather than the distance travelled. Yeah, I mean, six months is... You could run four or five times and the shoes are perfect. But if you run, you know, 
seven days a week, six months is way too long. Yeah. It could be three months before yeah. you need. And, you know, we always advertise for people to have two pairs of shoes going at the one time. So the shoes you're breaking in, you should be wearing them once or twice a week. And the shoes that you've broken in should be the other four or five times if you're a runner. So, you know, there are ways around making sure that you're never starting with brand new shoes for lots of runs in a row. You break the shoes in together. So by the time you get to your A race, you've actually got a pair of shoes that are perfect. Because if you're wearing old shoes, they're worn thin. Uh, it's just doing more and more damage to your body. So yeah, you could possibly have a calf injury or an ankle injury or Achilles injury because you're, you know, shin splints, yep. you know, stress fractures because you've worn shoes that have been there for too long. So so equipment is is yep. the choice of equipment um, is, is a game changer at the beginning of your and during your career. And the last point of that is uh, without a lack of functioning equipment, you are prolonging your progression. And so you might sign up to a race and you are doing it with substandard uh, equipment and the whole process is going to be frustrating. You're not going to perform as well. You're going to, again, spend the time and money training for that race, getting to the race. We always talk about the cost of a race, entry, flights, accommodation yeah. to f- perform poorly. I mean, what's that worth? You know, and then you're going to be really frustrated. Then you're going to sign, going to sign up to another race and then you know, you, you'll probably upgrade your equipment because you'll be super motivated to perform better. Yep. It's like you said at the start, why go through the process of buying things twice? You've actually spent more than if you just had have invested in. Yeah, uh, you buy a crappy wetsuit and then you realise that Far out. If I had this wetsuit that was not that much more expensive, but it, it had better flotation in my legs and stomach, and mm. I, I swam two minutes, yeah. swam two minutes quicker. Mm. Um, how much difference is that going to make to your mindset? You, you know, you buy a really crap bike that you put clip-on bars on, and you know you could be as fit as possible on the bike, but if you ride a time trial bike compared to that bike, you could be in a half Ironman fifteen to twenty minutes slower riding a bike that's that's actually not as aerodynamic as the bike. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be expensive, but it has to be specific to what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and plus, you know, it's just not going to be helpful when you run. Yep. So there's so many issues that um, that will affect your performance with substandard equipment and you will get to your destination yep. a lot slower. Yep. So to be clear, it's not about investing more. It's about not taking shortcuts. Yep. That's, that's the lesson. Great. Mistake number two don't get overwhelmed with technology. Yeah, and uh, to be honest, I'm very not savvy with with computer stuff, and it's t- it, you know it's taken a lot for me to really get across um, the things that are required to get the right outcomes for the training sessions. And it would have been easy to just throw hands up in the air and go, "I'm stuffed if I can work this out." You know, there's so many things you have to read about. This goes with this. You know, how does the power from the kicker attach to the Swift? How do you get your power from your bike attached to your bike computer and cross them over and get to the I can't believe how hard it is sometimes just to ride your bike. Yeah. And, you know, getting the right information on the screen to, to have the, what you're supposed to be looking for in the session. I've had so many people, um, I've said, oh, how did the session go? And they'd say, I don't know. <laughs> and that answer to me is unbelievable. So if you've got... Uh, everything that you need that's functioning correctly, including the data coming back to you whilst you're doing the session, you would know exactly whether you're in the power range or not. And for someone to say they don't know how they went, that means they're not looking at the right information. So so totally um, understanding that concept would be would be a start. And it's, it's about embracing technology because it is confusing for everyone. And I've said before on the podcast that I'm, I'm very tech savvy. Uh, I 
can quickly pick things up and understand how they work. And I struggle with a lot of this stuff, you know, Wahoo drives me insane. And to be honest, their support isn't the best. Uh, you, you watch some of their videos and they're, they're not the most helpful, but you can get there eventually just with a bit of time and effort and everyone's in the same boat. And if you understand that it is, we acknowledge that it is overwhelming at the start because there is a lot to understand with smart trainers and power meters and bike computers and what, what should you be looking at and linking them all and linking it, to, linking your Garmin to Strava and linking your Garmin to training peaks and setting up training peaks. There is a lot in that, but once you spend the time, it is worth it. And it's important to know that everyone can do it. Um, you're not alone in thinking it's hard, uh, but everyone has worked it out to some point. Um, you're, it's a bit harsh, but you're not special in being the only one that can't work it out. You know, you've just got to have a bit of discipline to go through the frustrating process as it is uh, to embrace it. Yeah, and that's the good point. Millions of people around the world can do it, mm. so it must be achievable. Yeah. And you're in the minority if you can't do it. So what do you do about that? You actually become informed and you do what we talk about, which is plan, prepare, perform yeah. as our motto. This is part of your preparation actually reading the instructions on how to do things. And if you're unsure, Google it. Everything you you want to find in the world, you can just Google it and there'll be a video on it. So, you know, there are ways around the, the little roadblocks that are putting put in front of you because once you get around those first few roadblocks, the freeway's clear as, yeah. and you'll look back and go, well, that wasn't really that hard, but yeah. it seemed insurmountably hard at the start. Yeah. But you've just got to get over these little uh, glitches at the start and then – you will have all of the information required and you'll be able to perform the sessions as they're meant to be performed. But you need to do that preparation to understand how to get it to work first. And that is part of your training, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. You have to see it as, yeah, part of, like, like a training session, sitting down and learning it. Yeah, for sure. And if you don't want to do that, it shows you're not actually, you know, committed. Yeah. Moving forward on this, again, we'll just remind you that uh, – a lot of these mistakes sound harsh, but it's because you've been through the same thing. You've been through the same frustrations. I remember cracking it at you one day because you were complaining to me yet again about um, Wahoo and the kicker not connecting. And I kind of just saying, what the fuck are you going to do about it? You know, because I'm sick of you complaining to me about it. And um, I think you just bought a new kicker in the end <laughs> because the one wasn't connecting. But um, Well, it's interesting because I do recall that. And I, I must have spent two months trying to get my kicker to work yeah. and – and I was on the Wahoo app every day yeah. and it wouldn't sink. And, and I was just saying, what a useless piece of equipment yeah. this is. Yeah. And I chucked the Wahoo app out, never used it again, yeah. and then just went straight from the kicker to Swift and it worked perfectly. Yeah. And I was thinking, why didn't someone tell me I don't need the Wahoo yeah. app? Yeah. Um, the only reason I needed the app was to do the spin down so it calibrated and that was all I needed it for. And I've yeah. never used it since. Yeah. And, you know, just little shortcuts like that um, and, and, of course, Googling helped understand that. But I was definitely getting frustrated and so were you listening to my complaints. But uh, that's another great example of going through it yourself. Yeah. Mistake number three, uh, listening to too much varying advice from people when you're starting out. I think think it's a good thing because at the beginning of a new sport, you just imagine you've you've, you've never ridden before or you've never been a runner or you've never been a swimmer or you're a girl and you've never played footy and you want to play footy. You're like a sponge and you'll listen to anybody because you're trying to get as much information processed as possible so that you can actually not embarrass yourself and and really get the most out of each time you play the game if you're playing footy or each time you ride your bike. You, you just don't want to make mistakes so you're a sponge. Unfortunately, the sponge will soak up any piece of crap information 
um, and and that's not what we want. We want we want to eliminate uh, misinformation. So our advice is, and I was the same. I would listen to anybody, and some mm. some old bike riders are saying to me, "Oh, you need to ride for a year, and all you need to do is slow long miles." And this is back in the seventies and eighties. And I thought, "All oh, right, that's what I'll do. That's what all the experts are doing. That's what they did in those days." And boy, you know, that was a long, slow process of of staying the same for a long period of time. And it was a bit foreign to me. And so I started chucking in a few intervals here and there. And all of a sudden, my bike riding started to improve. The actual long, slow miles did help. Mm. But it would help if I did that in conjunction with some hard stuff. Mm. And what those guys were meaning was you use your races as your intensity. And, you know, you get your fitness base with these long, slow miles. And they used to race a lot in those days. They could race twice or three times a week. Mm. They didn't need to train hard because – they're already getting that from their races, but you didn't understand that at the time. Yeah. So their information was actually correct, but in the context of it, um, I just got the context wrong. Yeah. Because uh, I didn't know that that's what they were doing with their racing. Yeah. Um, so that's an example of of you know hearing advice and actually not understanding it properly. So not all advice is good. Um, and how do you how do you differentiate between um, what's actually good and bad? Well, normally you would go and experiment yourself. And find out, well, that doesn't actually work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a long way of, of finding it out. So, look, our advice is to is to try, you know, listen to things like the Get Fast podcast. <laughs> yeah. That'll give you really good advice. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a- align yourself with people who have been experts in their field and uh, who, are, you know, not only have had, had success um, themselves but had, have had success with coaching other people. Um, and, you know, if, if – if you get to know people who are experts in the field, then they're the people who you would need to, to listen to more closely. And not not everybody has got the right advice for each individual person. And I'm saying the same about myself. Um, unless you know the person very well, um, general advice is exactly that. It's not specific to each individual person. So the example might be if someone came along and they were, you know, 104 kilo and um, and – uh, six foot five, and they watch the Tour de France and they want to do all these hills. Well, you know, the advice would be, well, that's probably not going to suit you. And that would be from a coach who understands that, you know, that somatotype person mm-hmm. is more suited to crit racing or flat course racing uh, where, you know, you're actually not at a disadvantage as a weight uh power ratio um and and you know the general advice would be yeah yeah, just you just go in the hills and train and and you know and you'll be fine well it's actually not the case for someone who's not suited for that likewise a lightweight person who's 64 kilo and you know five foot is probably going to be suited better to the hills than you know the big strong crit racing stuff that goes on so you know getting the right advice in the direction of of the races that you should go to um you know, it might seem obvious to, mm. to everybody, but it's actually not. And, and and you could be headed in the direction of the person who cuts that's what they like doing, so you should do it too. And that's actually not helpful either. Can leave you just a bit overwhelmed with information, confused, bamboozled. Yeah, and yeah, and you know, I've had people say you should be doing this, and then the next person you talk to says, "Oh no, that's completely wrong. You should be doing this." And so the the new person to the sport's going, "Well." Who's right, mm. you know? And lots of people have good intentions with telling you, but it's what worked for them. And this happens often with diets, for example, where 
someone will um, preach to the um, heavens that their diet is the one that works and that's because it worked for them. But we know with nutrition, you know, it is a little bit more individual and uh, one what worked for one person might not work for someone else. And so that's someone can really say to you, this will 100% work. But again, it might, might have worked for them, but it won't work for person B. Yeah, and we know that both males and females react differently to different nutrition stimulus with hormone balances. So, yeah. so straight away, if a girl's asking for advice from a guy – that's probably not going to be very helpful to the girl. She she would probably be better off getting advice from another girl um, who – Or an expert. Or an expert, yes. Uh, I mean a female expert. <laughs> it could yeah. be male experts, obviously, with our Dr. Yeah. Harry. And, you know, that's where I'm getting that example from. And he said many times um, the nutritional ec- advice that he gives to, to the female athletes and the male athletes that he has is completely different. Mm-hmm. And it's really just uh, to summarise – be careful who you listen to. Yeah, be, just just have a think about who you're listening to and taking advice from. Yeah, I think I think it's okay to listen to everybody. I just definitely think and to hear their opinion and and be selective in what you know. It's no different to getting advice on. Um, I'm not can't even think of an example of um, maybe how to drive a car. You know, if if you've got someone who's a qualified driving instructor as compared to a guy who's you know lost his license speeding five times and, you know, you're probably not going to get the right advice from this guy yeah. compared to uh, the driving instructor. So you need to select um, the advice that you're given um, and not take everything as gospel. Yeah. Mistake number four. Uh, we have spoken about the infamous group ride a lot on podcast. We just want to make this really succinct point. You cannot follow the group ride for too long when you're starting out. It is a great entry point into the sport, but – not for much longer after that. Yeah, and the group ride, let's get it straight. The group ride is fantastic. It, it has so many good qualities to it um, that you can learn lots of things from as a beginner rider. But if you continue to ride the group ride forever, day in, day out, you will get to a point where you're not actually going to improve anymore. So we try to flip that. So you, you do a lot of group rides early so that you're learning learning the bike skills, learning how to sit in the peloton, learning how to roll turns, learning when to, to do efforts, when when not to do efforts, um, you know, how to be safe uh, next to each other so that you're, you're not overlapping the wheel, um, you know, learning what's etiquette in the bunch. So there's lots of important lessons to be learned for a cyclist. But once you've got a lot of that information, you need to actually start improving yourself as a cyclist. And being in a, a group ride, you know, a lot of the time is spent – you know, unlike the pressure on the pedals example, there's, there's less pressure on the pedals in a group ride mm. than any ride. So mm. because you could be in the middle of a bunch and you could be doing 45 k's an hour. And I get this example a lot where people say, PB on Strava, uh, average speed was 46 k's an hour. Well, how much time did you spend on the front of that 46 k an hour ride? Yeah. I wasn't on the front at all. Well, it's nothing to do with you. That's not a PB. Yeah. That's just a group. PB, yeah, um, and you know if you can if you can do that by yourself and go from thirty two k's an hour to thirty three, that's a that's a PB. But yeah. of course, the wind can inf- influence that. Yeah. So there's so many different things. So we we want to go learn a lot and as much as you can, and then start practicing a lot of it on your own. And and you will improve quicker by doing one group ride, and if you're doing seven days a week, six individual rides with varying intensity. So. The group ride is great at the start 
for learning lots of things and getting information from people. And of course, there would be misinformation in that group ride as well because some group rides are really poor. Mm-hmm. Um, where the example would be, I know, you know, lots of the group rides are. It might be a four-hour ride, yet they've stopped for an hour thirty of that four-hour ride. Well, you know, do the stopping at the end. You know, make make the ride the ride. Mm. And you know, it's it's. That frustrates me a lot where I see so many group rides where they're stopping 15, 20 times. It's it's actually counterproductive to improvement for you as a cyclist. Yeah. Your motto is group rides should be part of your program, but not all of your program. Exactly. Last mistake for the episode, doing zero evaluation or reflection on your training. You know, a lot of people just go through the training week, complete all their training and don't consider what they're actually doing or reflect on it. Yeah, this is a common mistake and and I suppose the reason, I'm trying to work out why this happens, I think the reason is because people actually don't know what to look for um, and and as we've said many times, all of our training sessions have a goal and a purpose so it's quite clear before you start what you're trying to achieve today. Today might be a four-hour endurance ride, tomorrow might be a 35-minute recovery ride so it's quite clear in your mind what the goal is. So what we're saying is understand what the aim of the session is and then evaluate it at the end. Did you achieve that? And the group ride might have been or the endurance ride might have been a group ride where you were meant to ride with pressure on the pedals zone two with no intensity and you had four or five other guys whose idea was to make it as hard as possible. And, you know, you got your four hours in so you got the time right. You didn't stop a lot so that was good. Um, you had lots of pressure on the pedals, that was good, but your average percentage was 0.86. Um, so you actually trained too hard for that session. So at the end of the day, okay, how did that session go? This is what we're saying. Evaluate what happened on that ride. It was great fun. It was really hard. We really smashed each other. But two days later, I can't do the hard session because that group ride was was not what the intent was. So this can, this can prevent a lot of mistakes of overtraining um, and will also prevent a lot of mistakes of not improving. Mm-hmm. So evaluating every session is really key. Did you achieve the goal of the session? And the only way to, to know how to do that is to look at the data. Mm. And if you don't know what you're looking for, then that's an issue in itself. So understanding more so where to look and what to look for is probably the key we're talking about. Because just completing your training with no reflection, it will, like he's just said, lead to no improvement because just doing the training itself is probably step one where we want to aim for consistency, but you should be able to answer that question at the end of each day. Was today's session good? And at the end of each week, did I have a good training week? And if you're answering yes, just because you trained every day, that yes, that is a good thing. You've achieved consistency, but you could have done seven days of completely inaccurate or ineffective training if you haven't one established like you just said what was the goal of each session two did I hit the goal how do you know if you hit the goal you need to be able to understand your numbers and what you're looking at and whether the pace you hit or the numbers you hit were within the uh, goal and outcome of the session that you wanted yeah and it sounds obvious to to everybody well of course that's what you do but I guarantee that's not what happens Mm -hmm. in the real world mm-hmm. um, and it's so easy to get carried away with uh, that's why probably point number four the group ride 
thing, that's another disadvantage of the group ride is you're just at the mercy of other people's expectations and goals. Yeah. And if you ha- actually have a program and the other people in the group ride don't, you've got every reason to lead that group ride saying today we're doing this because this is what I've paid someone to tell me to do. Whereas the other people are waking up saying, I feel good today, I might actually ride hard. Um, and, you know, that's going to sabotage anything that you're trying to achieve. Um, and also, you know, making changes in the middle of a session, that's one of the things that, that frustrates me is, you know, the goal was to do uh, a tempo session and all of a sudden, you know, you start sprinting up the road um, because someone's left the bunch and you're chasing them. Um, you know, that's changing mid-session. That's That's – you know, at the end of the ride, you would evaluate that or you would probably avoid doing that because you know straight away <laughs> that that's actually a catastrophe, a sabotaging of your program. It's probably the bonus point of this last mistake is is not sticking to your training plan, not sticking to your program and, and changing it all the time. You know, having a little bit of variation is okay, but if you're going completely away from your plan, then... Yeah, there's no point in having a program in yep. the first place. And look, we, we don't want to be strict and and, uh, and boring. And, and boring, <laughs> but, you know, that is the quickest way to achieve. We know that. We've established that in this in this podcast very well. Yep. But it is good to have fun now and then, but understand that if that happens too often, that it will have detrimental effects and a flow-on effect. Uh, maybe a week later, it could actually be three weeks later from three weeks prior where you did way too much for two or three days in a row. Yeah. Um, and it could it could not show up until then. And and you were left wondering, oh, what's happening to me? Mm. And, you know, a smart person will go back and say, well, that's where you've, you know, you've really hurt yourself there and you haven't recovered. Yeah. So the first step is um, having a plan and goal for the session of the week. The second step is um, being able to reflect on it and evaluate whether you did it stuck to it or not? And the third step is not changing the plan midweek or mid-session. Yeah, so for a new person coming, this is what we're talking about. The advice we're give, giving here is, A, engaging someone to give you a structured plan who knows what they're talking about and actually following it, um, then doing it properly and then evaluating it. Um, so so there's quite a bit in that. Yeah. Um, but that is a really, you know, a really helpful tip for people who are listening is um, – this is kind of the most important part is is this aspect of it. You know, it's like you still need to get the right equipment, understand, your, you know, um, how the technology works and making mistakes with, you know, not maintaining stuff um, and, and getting injured. They're, they're all things that are going to happen along the journey. Um, but this is something that you can really take control of right from the beginning. And this is not just for beginners though. There is a lot of people no. training for a long time, racing for a long time, still making these mistakes, which is you can always fix them. But I would call them beginners too because they're re- refusing to acknowledge that the method they're using isn't working. So that's kind of a rookie error. Um, you know, if you find yourself stagnating and you're not improving, you know, you've got to, you've got to change something. Yep. And, and we've got a few examples that we've talked about, you know, even at, at Olympic level um, where if people aren't improving, they need to, to rethink it yeah. and, and change something up yeah. so that they can actually start to improve again. Yeah. Um, and if, you, if you're not going to willing to do that, then there's no one can help you really. And I mean, to finish off with, this is something that uh, is probably one of my biggest weaknesses in my, in my own program and you pull, up, pull me up on is because I like to play a lot of social sport and sport with my friends and uh, do some more ad hoc things like surfing and it impacts my training week and I kind of, I often uh, change my training kind of midweek based on the plan we set 
because something else will come up. And you always say that's fine, do what you want to do, but you won't improve at the rate that you, you could. You know, you won't improve at your maximal rate and that's the sacrifice that you have to make. And so I'm still making that mistake and weighing up the pros and cons of um, making the mistake or um, improving as much as you want to. Yeah, and I suppose mistake's probably a harsh word. It's just making a choice. Mm. Um, and it's really not a mistake. Um, it's a mistake if you... you uh, if, oh, well, it's a mistake if you're really determined to improve and you keep saying, oh, I'm not getting where I want to be. Yeah. Well, that's a mistake because yeah. you actually haven't understood. Yeah. Um, the choice you make yeah. is determining how quickly you get to your end goal. Yeah. And all you're doing is slowing that, that process down. And instead of getting there in August or September when it counts, you might get there in December or the next January, February yeah. Um, and your race has already been. Yeah. So, yeah. so you know, that would be a mistake, but it's still a choice you've made. And, You're right, yeah. And, I, you know, it's great to enjoy everything about what we're talking about, but at the end of the day, if you're committing yourself to, you know, as we've said many times, um, spending all this time training and money and travel and setting your, you know, buying the equipment, setting yourself up, um, just to sort of say, well, I'm, I'm only 50% committed here, um, because I want to have fun doing other stuff. Well, that's okay. Um, but but don't complain mm. when you get to your A raise and you don't perform the way you want to because that's the choice you made. Yep. That's that's the best summary you could make is that if you're making the choice and you're okay with it, then it's not a mistake. But if you're making the choice yet you're still complaining, then that is a mistake. Uh, and if you don't even – if you're not even aware of the choice you're making, then that's also a mistake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if you can't see that that is actually sabotaging your, your end goal, then – that's clearly a mistake. Yep. Um, I don't know how you, I don't know how you get to understand that, but yep. um, but yeah. Look, I don't want to be a hard ass coach. I want to I want to have people enjoying the process. We've said that many times, but um, but you just got to understand that uh, the decisions you're making will actually have a flow on effect to everything that uh, you can achieve in what you're trying to trying to do with your sport. Spot on. Well, that's a great way to finish the episode. Thank you as always for listening. We really appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>